0: morning beloved it's good to see you again uh, we are going to be in galatians chapter 4 if you would like to make your copy of scripture ready galatians chapter 4 and as you're turning there um, some fun things happened this week in the franklin household uh, we got to go see a tampa bay lightning game uh, if you didn't know you might be annoyed that i talk about hockey quite a bit uh, my son plays hockey i played hockey growing up i, I love the sport um, but tampa bay lightning in Tampa is an NHL team, like that's the top level team. And so the tickets are a lot more expensive and it's a lot further to drive than our local solar bears who are not the NHL, but you know, uh, tickets are cheaper and it's closer. But there was a preseason game, so it's not a real game, so to speak, it's kind of like a practice game. And so the tickets were a lot cheaper and it was here in Orlando because they're trying to expand their fan base and all this stuff. So this was the first chance that my son Leland had to see an actual Tampa Bay Lightning game. Um, He plays at the RDV, and so it's like they have Tampa Bay on their jerseys and stuff, but he's never got to actually see Tampa Bay play. So we go to this game, and um, it was a lot of fun, good time and all this stuff, but um, one thing that really stood out to me is that every time the opposing team would score a goal, which sadly happened more than once, um, (laughs) but each time that they did score a goal, Leland, my son, would get, like, actually emotional, like tears, and... (laughs) And it's like oh, it's heartbreaking. Like this is his first game watching like a real NHL team play, and every time his team is scored on, he would take it so personally. And so I just had to keep talking to him, like, hey, like this is good. Like you gotta learn we don't always win, and that's okay. Like we're we're gonna do our best. And 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 then I'm also trying to like. Calling the situation like, it's not a real game. They're not, like, they're not even playing our good players, dude. This is, this is like last string. They're, they're just trying to give them some ice time and see how they can make this work for the season. Um, but it just really struck me how personally he would take this. And, and if I'm honest, I'm there with him. But I'm, I'm just a little more in control. Like, I can turn the waterworks off. But inside, I'm like, <laughs> why, why did you let them score? <laughs> Go score more goals, guys. Um, but do you feel that? Maybe you're not into sports, but like maybe it's your favorite artist or you go see some kind of a performance and, and just like you get drawn into it to where when there's a poor performance, like you feel that personally. And there, there's something to that. Like it, it points to this, this connection that we have. That's something that honestly, we, we take it so personally when we don't have a real connection to it as an individual. Like Tampa Bay Lightning does not know who the Franklin family is. Yet, exactly. But so there's just this tension that points to the importance of relationships and community if we think about it. you think about it in these terms, this is uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, a highly esteemed psychiatrist. He wrote this, he said, our culture teaches us to focus on personal uniqueness, but at a deeper level we barely exist as individual organisms. Our brains are built to help us function as members of a tribe. We are part of that tribe even when we are by ourselves, whether listening to music that other people created, watching a basketball game on television, our own muscles tensing as the players run and jump, or preparing a spreadsheet for a sales meeting, anticipating the boss's reactions. Most of our energy is devoted to connecting with others. I thought about that. Like in that game, why am I like, Like, why do we're watching a TV and yet somehow, as the character on the show encounters something, like we feel that with them? Like, why? Why do we get drawn into someone else's story to where it becomes part of our story? Because we are so social. We are innately social creatures. God created us for relationship and community. It is important that we are in real relationships like actual relationships, not just like what's your friend count or your follower count, but who do you have that's an actual friend? Who do you go to when life is hard, when you have a question that there's not an easy answer to? Who is actually there with you when you're hurting? And not just kind of throwing platitudes, but actually in it with you. Who do we have in community with us? And so that's what we're going to look at because um, the, the importance of community and relationships is present in the life of any healthy church. And I so want us to always be a healthy church. And so we must have real relationships, real community. And so in Galatians, that's what we're going to be exploring today, and so the book of Galatians, um, hopefully you've been tracking along with us, but this, this whole book is kind of this, this treatise on the gospel that's spoken into a situation of churches in Galatia where Paul is a missionary who helps start churches in Galatia, and he's writing a letter to them, so he's no longer in the region, but he's hearing about things that are happening there. And he writes them because he's like, look, people are compromising the gospel, People are coming in and they're adding things too. They're actually trying to draw you back into the law, the Mosaic law. They're adding these things. The threat is legalism. This idea that you now have to somehow perform to, to somehow inherit or receive the salvation as opposed to just simply knowing it's by grace through faith. Like The gospel is good news that God loves you and has made you into a right relationship with himself at his own cost. Nothing that you can do is going to earn that. You came into this freely by grace. It's just through faith. You believe that he has done this for you, and you're in. You're part of the family of God. And yet, the ethnic Jews, some of the ethnic Jews that are still holding to the Mosaic Law, they're coming, and they're like, yeah, that's a great gospel. It's good that you believe that. But now, if you really want to be part of the people of God, like we have always been, you also need to do this. And so they're tacking on some things from the law, like you should be circumcised, this outward sign of being the covenant people of God, or you need to observe this this practice, this ethnic marker, so to speak, of like you're gonna observe the Sabbath, you're going to do these feasts, these festivals, these different things that are going to now bring you into the people of God, and Paul's like, no, none of that got you into the family you're already in the family, so why now do you think you need to do those things? You're submitting to slavery again. Don't start to think that you can somehow perform and become right with God. God gave you his favor. You live out of his favor, not for his favor. And so God has, has given us this gift of a record of this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians, and now we're exploring that and seeing what does that mean for us? Because we don't so much think like, oh, like I've got to do these different 600-odd commands of the Old Testament to be in a right relationship with God, but we absolutely fall prey to the the legalism of somehow I've got to measure up, that I've got to look the part, I've got to behave in such a way, otherwise I'm out. And we'll start to push that on, on each other as well, and that's just, that's insane. Paul would say things like, you foolish Galatians, like who has bewitched you? What is this? You're turning to another gospel? There is no other gospel. What are you doing? And so we're continuing on, we're in chapter four now, And today we're gonna see a window into his personal relationship with the Galatians. So chapter four, we're picking up where we left off last week in verse eight. Read with me. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not gods. So remember in context here, Paul is writing, addressing the Galatians. But in the past, since you didn't know God, you were enslaved to things that by nature are not gods. But now, since you know God, or rather have become known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Do you want to be enslaved to them all over again? You are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. That's some hard words. Paul saying, hey, I'm, I'm scared. You guys, like, you remember, you came from pagan idolatry. Like you were worshiping false gods. You think back to like, Isaiah, talking about the, the just the insanity of the man who plants a tree, and it grows, and then he cuts that tree down, and it becomes wood, and from that wood, he uses some of it to just throw into a fire, and he's warmed by it, Whew. it's keeping me warm here, I'm gonna cook some stuff over, he uses it to cook, But then there's a little bit of that wood left, I'll fashion an idol out of that, I'll make a god out of that, it's like, that's insane, you you kept warm by it and you cooked over it and yet you think the very same substance you now worship. What is this? And so they're living in a culture where there are many gods, gods of this and gods of that and all this stuff and it may not be this like wooden idol in the house but there are all kinds of false gods. And it's like, why would you turn back to worthless elements? Those things are not gods. They're not gods at all. Why would you turn back to that? Why would you go back to pagan idolatry but he doesn't in there. He's like, you're actually you're observing these special days and feasts and years, all these things. And if now we read that in context, what is that all about? That's, that's a religious act. That's not about the pagan idolatry. That's about the observance of the Jewish calendar. That's observance to the Mosaic law. And so he's saying, don't go back to worthless elements. Don't go back to idolatry. But now he's tagged the two together. It's not just the pagan idolatry of these silly false gods. It's also this idolatry of these religious acts and observances. How is that? He's putting the two together. saying, you're enslaved to both of them. That religious legalism, trying to perform your way in, trying to do good enough, to be a good enough person, to obey and comply with these rules. He's saying, that is actually a form of idolatry. That you think in some way, You're going to be able to save yourself by your performance. So pagan idolatry, what you can acquire, what you do. Religious idolatry, legalism, what you acquire, what you do. You think you can gain a right standing with God by observing these rules. You think you can gain the favor of God by being a good enough person, all these different things. He's like, it's the same. You're falling into a trap. This is crazy. I love. He's pointing out that the idols are not God's and yet they do have real legitimate power over humans. Whether that is the pagan idol and in our culture we think the next big thing that i've just got to have the newest piece of technology or that house or that position whatever it is that we're finding as our sense of comfort or security or identity in the place of god himself anything that we put on the throne that is not god himself that is an idol. And so again, like easy for us to look and say like, yeah man, that's, that's an idol. If, if I just need that number in my bank account or I need that position, that status, whatever it is, absolutely that's an idol. But then you think, oh, but what about your church attendance? And you look at how often you come to church. <sighs> I'm good. You know what? I go to church like most weeks. I'm good. Or I read my Bible every day. I'm doing great. My prayer life is Killer. It's, it's amazing. You wouldn't believe the amount of time I pray every day. Like, these are beautiful things, right? But if that is what you're looking to, as your salvation, as your, as your hope, your comfort, your sense of identity, the things that you do, then you've actually fallen back into slavery. It's a religious legalism. And Paul's saying, like, don't go back to that. Tension that Paul is fighting is that they fall prey to this religious idolatry or legalism that is actually the same as the pagan idolatry that they were once in. It's enslavement. So Everyone is seeking salvation, every human. Salvation of some sort. We all know that we're broken. Even when we like to pretend like we're not, we know that we're broken. And so whether it's a pagan idol or performance that's functionally an idol, we're all trying to save ourselves by acquiring something in any form of idolatry. It's enslavement. But the gospel says that salvation actually comes by faith. It's what God has done and what God has declared of us. Not what we could do or what we could say, but what he has done. He is at the center of it all. So let's jump back in here. I want to point some things out. Uh, verse nine. I love this, this statement that he makes here that creates its own tension. He says, but now, since you know God, or rather, have been known by God, or have become known by God, how can he turn back again to the weak and worthless elements? Wait, so which is it? Is it now I know God or rather that I have become known by God? Is it both? what is that? Why, why does he make that tension? And grammatically, we like to, when we see that word rather, we'll think like, well, rather must mean that it negates the first part. It's not that, he's not, he's not negating it. He's showing a priority here. That yes, you now know God. You have a real, genuine, personal relationship with God. You know him, and it is beautiful. There's intimacy there. But that's not actually what is paramount. What is more important is you have become known by God. That God knows me is more important than me knowing God. And why is that? Because when I consider my love, it's fickle. Me knowing God is so fickle, but God knowing me is constant. When the scriptures speak of knowing someone, um, this is a little more PG-13, but in the Old Testament we often hear the verbiage of like, so-and-so knew so-and-so, the spouse, and they begat so-and-so. To know someone implies this deep intimacy. So God knowing us, us knowing God, this great intimacy of a personal relationship this morning, um, KJ, Kevin Johnson comes walking in and, and he, he helps with the setup. And, and it's just always like the fun level goes up when he enters the room. He's always loud and just like has something to bring to the table. And he walks in this morning he's like, hey, I've got a theological question. Like, all right, here we go. Everybody wake up. It's time. <laughs> and he'd walked past the Lost and Found outside. And he's like, Why is it called Lost and Found if it's all still there? Is it found? And it's like a couple of people chime in and Chris actually is like, you know, theologically, actually, like kind of, that is the gospel. Like Those that he foreknew, he did also predestine and all this stuff. And so he's like jumping in the deep water here and like, this is beautiful. And Kevin's like, I knew we were gospel-centered church. And like, it's just so good. But it's true. Like this idea of like, you could label me found even when I was lost. Because scripture says that before the foundation of the world, Jesus stood as a lamb's Lamb slain. This was the plan all along. And he chose me in love. He predestined me to be adopted. This was the plan, that even when I was the enemy of God, he captured me. He won me to himself. That Label me found or label me known. That while my heart is fickle and my experience of how much I love God, my affection for him is just always ebbing and flowing and all this stuff, it's up and down. God's love for me, his knowing me is constant. And so if we have the confidence of knowing that God knows me and he's unwavering in his love for me, then all the insecurities that will drive me to idols of thinking I've got to perform better or I've got to put my hope in this or that, all of the insecurities of that are gone when I just know he knows me, he loves me. And I don't feel the pressure to revert back to, oh, somehow I've got to measure up. No, you're free. You're free because he knows you. He loves you. So we continue, verse 10. He says, you are observing special days, months, seasons, and years. I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. Paul is fearful for them because they don't know that the religious idolatry is blinding. And you know this is true. The irreligious person knows that they're at odds with God. The atheist, the pagan, the one who is blatantly countering God, he's against God, he knows he's at odds with God. But the religious idolaters, The one who's in love with godly things, but not God himself, is often so deceived to think, oh, I'm great with God. And so it's actually the more dangerous position to fall into legalism, to fall into religious idolatry is actually more dangerous than the pagan idolatry, where you just know that I'm opposed to God. As Paul says, I'm worried, I'm fearful for you. And so now standing on the foundation of the gospel, uh, we can move forward together in the faith. Paul's gonna now transition into discussing what his historic experience, the actual story of what it was like when he was planting these churches in Galatia, what it was like for him to live with the Galatians, And this shows us beautifully, I think, as we unpack this, what gospel-centered community looks like. A community that says, no, we're gonna keep the gospel central because we have this tendency to to lose sight of the way in which God knows us, he loves us, it's unwavering, but our experience is always wavering up and down and everything. We need a community to keep our eyes fixed on this like Paul is doing for them. We have to be able to speak into each other's lives and say, no, remember, you are known by God. You were loved by God. That is enslavement. Don't go back to slavery. Rest in the gospel. Trust in the gospel. Push forward in the gospel. And so watch how he unpacks this through his historic experience of living with them. Verse 12. He says, I beg you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. He says, become like me. So the first thing that we need to know about gospel community is that in real gospel community, in real discipleship, following Jesus together, there is great transparency. Let's be a church that is incredibly transparent with each other. Invite each other in to actually know, open your heart in your life to allow others in to see how do you think, how do you feel, how do you act in ways that are in accord with the gospel. What does discipleship look like in 2021? It's not all the time gonna be, hey, let's meet up. We're gonna work through this book study. <laughs> and we're, gonna, we're gonna meet up and we're gonna spend 20 minutes in prayer and then we're gonna meditate on this passage. We're gonna memorize this passage. Like, those things are great and they have their place. They're actually essential in discipleship, in formation as we follow Jesus together. But a lot of what it looks like is saying, come hang out in my home. Watch the way that when my kids absolutely took me off, I respond to them. And that means I'm going to screw up a lot. And then you're going to watch me apologize to them and say, I, I messed up. And I'm so glad that God is gracious with us. I'm asking you to forgive me. I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. You're going to invite them into what does it really look like to live a life of repentance, a postured heart before God that is humbled and sees God greatly exalted. Spend time with each other. Because it really comes down to time and proximity. If you want to be in genuine gospel community, you need to be together. You need to be close. You need to be able to watch, like Paul said, become like me, meaning you know what I'm like. How would they know what he's like? Because they're there with him, watching him, watching how he responds to different stimuli of circumstances around him. They watch what he does when things are good. They watch what he does when things are bad. They watch what he does when he's confused and when he's certain and confident. They watch him all the time and he's saying, you know what I'm like. Become like me. I'm an open window. Look into my life and see what it looks like to have a confidence in this gospel, to follow Jesus knowing he is our salvation. So invite them in. Be transparent. Spend a lot of time in close proximity to others. And then he also says, I also became like you, huh. So become like me, but I also became like you. So that means that gospel community is going to be transparent, but it's also going to be flexible, that he became like them. And so here's the thing, accepting the gospel, we do not compromise on the gospel, and we do not compromise on holiness, what we know from the word of God, what the gospel tells us. Beyond that, there is so much flexibility and freedom God actually celebrates diversity. Varied cultural expression is something God loves. We talked about this recently, but the the vision that John has in the Revelation when he sees in the age to come all the tribes and tongues gathered around the throne exalting God. There's, There's still somehow this distinction. There's this diversity that is beautiful. We should be a diverse church, and we should celebrate the diversity. That we don't all need to be cookie cutter, look the same? No. That's not at all how God designed us. And so Paul's saying, be flexible. I became like you. I mean, have an interest in other people's interests. Ask them, what are the questions that you're wrestling with? What are the the things that bring great joy here? What are the things that, that are your hopes, your goals, your dreams? Like, actually enter into their world. Learn to speak their language. Be flexible in that. And see how the gospel is not compromised, but actually now speaks into that. You find these contact points, so to speak. And you're like, "Oh, that's beautiful. I see a redemptive longing in every bit of your culture, and I just want to let you know, like, that's beautiful. Like, let's let's actually speak the gospel into that. How does the gospel address that? And so, have flexibility. Get to genuinely know others. Is the the thing about cultural legalism? Like, saying, oh, it's got to be this way. Like, our church must look like this. You're going to wear this kind of clothing. You're going to speak with this kind of language. Whatever it is, the inflexibility of a cultural legalism is just the outgrowth of a religious legalism. But you've got to follow these rules. You've got to do this. And it bleeds into the culture. And Paul's saying, no, like, don't compromise the gospel, but be flexible on the culture. Like, actually enjoy that, celebrate that, that God is creative. And he loves diversity. So don't impose these cultural, legalistic things on what should just be celebrated. Yeah, they're varied expressions of the image of God because it all together is how he portrays someone who is so beyond our comprehension and our ability to express. That's part of it, and that's beautiful. So, verse 13, he continues on. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you because of a weakness of the flesh. You did not despise or reject me, though my physical condition was a trial for you. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is your blessing? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Whoa, (laughs) that's intense. And so we get a window here into, again, the historic story of how Paul began planting churches in Galatia. He actually was not planning to be here. He did not plan. It was not Paul's plan to plant the churches of Galatia. The people he's writing to that he clearly loves this much. That was not his plan. He was in some way incapacitated. He was sick in some way. He had some kind of physical ailment. And there's all kinds of conjecturing, but we really don't know what it was. But the whole, like, uh, you guys would have plucked out your very own eyeballs for me if you could. Like, some some scholars will say, like, you know, what happened to him on the road to Damascus? Blinding light. He can't see. And then these scales fall off and everything. Like, maybe that created this ongoing optical problem for him. Other letters, he's like, where he would start to pen the, the closing. He's like, look, I'm writing with my own hand. See the big letters? Like, dude must have been blind. I don't know. We don't know, but what is clear here is that in some way, Paul was sick and he did not plan to be with the Galatians long enough to plant churches, and yet, he did. Because of his sickness, they loved him, they welcomed him like he was Jesus himself. And so Paul loved them and poured himself into them even though it was not his plan. That's such a comfort to us that Paul brought the gospel to them in suffering. And while it was not Paul's plan, it clearly was God's. Maybe you need to know that. You are in gospel community by the providence of God. He has you here, even if you're hurting. He has you where he has you, and you can use that suffering, you can use that pain to be part of the glorious story of God. That he and his sovereignty and his providence is really holding true to that promise, that he's working everything together for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose. That your pain, your story can be used for the advancement of the gospel wherever he has you. Even if it's not your plan, it's still in his plan. And look at the beautiful things that can come about, that, that churches are coming about. Because Paul got sick. And so often, like, when, I, when I, like, I come into uh, an awful situation in life, woe is me, <laughs> why is this happening? And I, like, I, I turn more and more inward Whereas Paul's saying, no, in gospel community, as you start to hurt, don't turn inward, turn outward. How is this actually going to be good for this community? How is God going to use this redemptively to bring about something beautiful? Look outward in your hurt. I love the Galatians. As Paul turns outward in his hurt, the Galatians replicate. They mirror that. And they love him. They love and care for Paul physically as he loved and cared for them spiritually. Isn't that beautiful? And that's at the heart of gospel community as well. But it's not just about our spiritual needs. It's, hey, brother, I'm gonna actually physically show up and help you because there's a physical need here. That both are important. This is incarnational living. That God took on human form. He became embodied. Incarnation. Carne. Like, Chipotle order. I don't carnitas. What is carna? It's carnival. All this stuff. It's meat. God took on meat. Isn't it good? Everybody's getting hungry. I'm with you. God took on meat. He took on human flesh. He became like us and lived amongst us. And Paul's saying this is what it looks like. Get together. When you're hurting, don't, don't turn inward, turn outward. And watch how that gets mirrored. And the gospel community around you that we all just pour lovingly into each other that our spiritual needs are vital but our tangible needs are just important too. We love each other. Our our love for God overflows in love for each other and becomes real tangible things. So, uh, I just love us. I gotta keep going. Verse 16. So then. So then is this transition. So like, I want you to be thinking about everything I just said. You remember the way that I loved you? I didn't even plan to be here, but I was hurting. And yet, I decided to use it as an opportunity for you guys to know the gospel, to know the hope of the world. And you guys responded in kind, just loving me. And at great cost to yourselves, you took care of me when I was hurting. And you loved me in such a way that like, you would have plucked your own eyeballs out and given them to me if you could. You remember the way that we loved each other? So then, Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? Oh, i just drive the knife in, Paul. (laughs) Yeah, I remember how you loved me and how I loved you. Did did I become your enemy because I told you the truth? He's saying, Paul's saying, I haven't changed anything. I told you the gospel. I loved you. (laughs) I deeply loved you and I'm still telling you the gospel. I'm still deeply loving you. So what's changed here? How did I become your enemy? You're the one that's changed. Oh, okay. So in gospel community, there's a time to say hard things. Don't compromise on truth. Stand firm in the truth. But you say it in love. Like he said, so then, meaning, hey, remember all that love that we shared. In light of that, what's going on, guys? What is happening here? This message didn't change, but they did. Verse 17, they court you eagerly. They, meaning these opponents, these false teachers, they're trying to lead you astray. They court you eagerly, but not for good. They want to exclude you from me so that you would pursue them. But it is always good to be pursued in a good manner. And not just when I'm with you. What are you, What? What are you saying, Paul? They court you, they're dating you, they're wooing you, they're seducing you, they're romancing you, they're trying to draw you in. They're pursuing you. He's getting at the reality that we all love affirmation and praise. That's normal. We love affirmation and praise. We love the thrill, the delight of being pursued. If you've ever been in a romantic relationship, you know it's true. You want that person to want to know you more. You want that person to chase after you. You want that person to explore your interests, your passions. You want them to want to know you more. The chase is exciting. Do you remember? Some of you have been married for years and decades. Do you remember what it was like? The butterflies. as you're Trying to... Trying, <laughs> trying to... Pursue this person. We'll set up marriage counseling this week. (laughs) We'll we'll gain that back. This is my lover and this is my friend. Friends have fun and they chase each other. Just remember that. (laughs) The false teachers are playing to that. They're playing to this reality that we love to be pursued. We love affirmation. We love praise. They're playing to it. so they're they're like enticing the Galatians, like kind of tickling their ears, we're gonna say what you want and everything, because they're trying to posture themselves so that the Galatians would chase after them, look up to them like, oh wow, you guys have arrived. You are so, so good at this. Yeah, aren't we? We are really good at this. You should listen to us. They want the authority, they want the applause, they want all of what it is to be pursued by someone who wants them. The false teachers play to this. They want the Galatians to glamorize them. They want the Galatians to be dependent on them. There's an issue here. They want them to be dependent on them. And what is this for the false teachers? If not the idols of approval and adoration that drive the religious idols? The legalism comes out of the deep-seated idol of acceptance and affirmation, approval, and all these things. Like We want other people to see how good we are at keeping the rules, so listen to us. See how good I am at keeping the rules? Look up to me. You need me. I'll tell you the right way. I'll lead you in the right way. And Paul's like, don't you see what they're doing? They've seduced you. They want you to chase after them. They want you to be dependent on them. Wake up and see what they're doing to you. Watch what he does in verse nineteen. My children, I am against suffering labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. Well that got weird, okay? (laughs) Have you ever said that about someone? (laughs) Like this is a this is a rough situation. I'm in labor pains over you. (laughs) Have you been in a labor room? It's not good. (laughs) It's not. Like that's a really weird kind of jab? I don't know. What is that? What is he saying in that? Think about that. What is a woman's hope the whole time she's pregnant? What is she aiming for throughout the entire pregnancy? The birth of the child. To be healthy. To be independent. To no longer be dependent on her. Yes, in other ways, you can take the illustration too far that the child's still dependent on the mother. But the whole idea is, look... They want you to be dependent. They're pursuing you in such a way that you would grow more and more dependent on them, that you would need them. Yeah, this is my hope. Like a woman who's pregnant and in labor, like I'm suffering these pains because I want you to be birthed. I want you to actually be free, that you don't need me. You just need Christ, Christ formed in you. Be free. They've got it all wrong. That's not the goal for you to now need them. The goal is actually for you to grow up into maturity and see that you're free and you stand in Christ. Oh, that's that's an incredible aim, Paul. Verse 20, he he wraps up this passage. He says, I would like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. We gotta read that with the emotion behind it. I don't know what to do about you. I want to be with you right now. I want to change my tone of voice. I don't like talking to you in this way. I don't like having to belittle you because this is insane. You foolish Galatians, what are you doing? Wake up and see the way that they've seduced you. Open your eyes, remember the gospel, see that you're free in Christ. Stop slipping back into slavery. Man, I want to change my tone, but I can't yet. I want to be there with you. I don't even know what to do about you. You hear it in his voice, like he loves them. and I want to hear that in this church. I want to hear you talking to each other. I want to hear you correcting me. I want to hear that deep longing for holiness. I want to hear that longing for you, like a woman in labor pains, to see Christ formed in you. And we would love each other so deeply. And it's not okay. This is not okay. I'm gonna say some hard things because I love you. Don't stay there. Can we hear that kind of conversation all the time? What a beautiful, loving church to where you could say those things because gospel community requires conversations that are loving, that are gracious, but are also honest and hard sometimes. For those of you who take this call to follow Jesus and disciple the nation seriously, I also want to give you some encouragement, some great encouragement that I take from this. Have you found yourself in a position where you're like, man, I'm trying to do what's right, and this is just hard, this sucks, and I'm kind of at a loss. I don't know what to do about you. Have you been in that position with someone? Like, yeah. I don't know what to do anymore. Probably all of us. And isn't it encouraging and a comfort to see Paul was there? Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, wrote the majority of the letters of the New Testament, says weird things in a humble brag like, went up to the third heaven, I heard things that I can't speak of. (laughs) Like, this guy who can sound so arrogant, he's just so confident and his position in Christ. Like that guy that I look up to so much came to a point where he's like, I don't know what to do about you. And it's okay to be there. It does not mean that you're failing. And so we look at, okay, Paul, you came to a place where you're like, I, I don't know what to do about you. And what did he do? What has he done for the whole letter? It's just, guys, remember the gospel. All I've got is the gospel. I'm just gonna keep preaching the gospel to you. You want to talk about, I want to talk about the gospel. No, I want to talk about the gospel. no, 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 the gospel, the gospel. But not just that. Like what he says right before, I don't know what to do about you. What does he say he wants? I want to be with you. So when you're in those positions, those relationships, where you're, I'm at my wit's end. I don't know what to do. You can say that. But be with them. Be with them with nothing else but the gospel. This is what I have, it's the gospel. Otherwise, I have no idea what to do here. This is hard and I'm so sorry. I wish I could help more, but actually the best thing I can do is just be with you and remind you of the gospel. You are loved. So bottom line, seek and form gospel relationships. Make it. A priority: to be in close proximity for extended amounts of time with each other. Be in real genuine community. You are not meant to be alone. Just like when you watch that game on TV and your muscles are tensing as they're tensing. like, "What is that?" That's weird flex on my part. I don't know. It's weird. Because you're meant to be together. So be together be together. I'm calling you into gospel-centered community. I'm calling you into full gospel relationships. I want you to live this out like Paul is saying, live it out every day. Last week or the week before, I don't know, time is a weird thing to me. I just have a bad memory. We had a guy's night. where We were playing ultimate frisbee at Waterfront Park. And when I was in seminary, I took a class and, and had to make a plan for how to evangelize a city. And I didn't have kids or near as many responsibilities at the time, but one of the first things that I knew that I really wanted to do was set up some kind of sport to where I would be in a public place regularly. to where the community would realize, even if it happened slowly, like there's going to be a guy who loves Jesus that's always there and welcoming people to play. And we'll just talk for a couple minutes about who Jesus is. And I was so love that. <laughs> We're playing Ultimate Frisbee and I'm watching as person after person comes walking by and you can see them stop in the longing to watch just a handful of guys throwing a Frisbee. Like, that's kind of weird, but cool, I don't know. But like, they, you can see it, the longing for community. Like, I want to be a part of that. People getting together to just have fun together? That's weird in today's culture. <laughs> and one guy actually jumped in. We got to tell him about the church I got to share the gospel with him? Like, because we're playing frisbee. Well, is, is it really that? Or is it we're together? It's being together. People who are together and hold the gospel central. And then watch how that bleeds out. But it means every day of your life. It's not Sunday in this category of I go to church for this hour, or if he won't stop talking, he's 11 minutes over, like more than an hour. But it's every waking moment that it's it's our life, that we have laid down our life. We take up our cross and we follow Jesus and there's not a day that we don't do that. It's deny yourself daily, take up your cross. Every day, be the church, hold the gospel central. Um, We have some structured ways to help you with that, that we want every one of you to be in a relationship that we call a discipline practicing partnership. That in January, you'll get new covenant cards where we take that and we want you to actually fill it out and find at least one, if not two other people You can say, for 30 minutes a week, let's have a conversation about whatever the discipline of the month is. This month, it's generosity. Would you, would you invite, like, how weird would it be if gospel conversations can be hard? Go ask somebody, hey, can we sit down and compare budgets? How generous are you with your money? Are you supporting The needs of this community? Are you giving to the church to see it expand? What are you doing with your wealth? Are you in just terrible debt? As your brother, I want to help you. I want to step in and say, like, there's freedom here. Let's let's make a map for how to get free. Be together. Have a discipline practicing partner. Be in a home group. Acts 2, the model of the church from the beginning. They met together daily in the temple and in their homes. There's a time for corporate worship like this Sunday morning gathering. But then there's so much time that just live it out. Be the church in each other's homes. Show up to your favorite coffee shop together and talk about our Lord. Be together in each other's homes. Be in community. We have home groups available. Josh is our community pastor. Talk to him. Ask him like, hey, what's a group I can jump into? We've got a handful of them. They all have room for you. Jump into a home group or a ministry team. Start serving. Our, our generation, collective generations that are present now, like one of the most motivating things to us is service. So maybe you're just kind of weirded out by the idea of like, I'm just going to show up and eat a meal in somebody's home that I don't know. Like, ah, that's, that's terrifying. Start simple. Just show up and serve somewhere. We need people who love the Lord and love telling the next generation about it. So go serve with beloved students on Wednesday nights, go get messy with teenagers. You hear them? They need you. (laughs) Literally, right now, they need you. Go help some screaming toddlers know what it is to know Jesus. We need help. Serve. B team. Everyone in the church is technically B team because it's all about putting someone else before us. You're the A team. I'm just here to serve you and love you. So I'll be the team here. Serve. Worship team. We want more people singing and playing instruments. We want more. We need help with so many things. Safe families. You know, the community really does need us to step into this. And we, I have prayed so much about this and I want us to jump into these opportunities. Like, what does outreach look like in today's age? When there's so much government assistance and there are all these other bigger churches that are doing so much, like what does Little Beloved Church do? Well, who's actually doing that? It's like, here's an opportunity for us to be with a service that will work with all the schools and actually identify families who are genuinely in need. Some of them just need a friend to talk to. Some of them just need help with like, how do I write a resume? How do I go turn in this application in a way that doesn't make me look like a fool? Or how do I have a date with my husband when I haven't for four years because there's nobody to watch my kids and we get to step in and say, I got him. Six hours, go have an awesome date. I'm background checked. It's gonna be safe. Everything's on the up and up. Go have fun. Like, we can do that stuff. But it requires us living in the everyday gospel-centered community. So will you step into that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you have invited us, that you have formed a community centered on good news. I I love that we, of all the world, we get to be a hopeful people. We get to be a joyful people because the community that we live in, that you have called us into, is centered on good news. That you so love this world. You sent Jesus to die in our place on a cross, to bear the weight of all of our sin and our shame so that we could be free we would not have to perform our way in to eternal life with you, but you would give forgiveness of sins. That your justice would be satisfied, your wrath would be satisfied because you took it on yourself. Because you love us in grace. And now we just get to benefit from that. God, that is amazing. Such good news. So give us faith, Father. If anyone is here that doesn't know you, let them know that Jesus is the way to you. Spirit, would you move in our hearts and our lives? Work in us, make us more and more every day a gospel-centered church, always living in this faith. In light of your love, your grace, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.